made my top list of 10. Then I dropped it down to five. Then I dropped it down to three. Then I'm like, all right, now I got to tell my mom because she has to take days off of work, you know? It's like, mom, I have options. She was like, all right, I'll do it. But you understand if you lose this day of work, we can't, like the light might not be able to be paid. I'll do it. Okay, let's do it. Another season in the books, the podcast featuring current and former professional athletes. They come from all over the world, and many spent their college years studying and playing in the United States. We talk athletics, academics, and because life is so interesting, a little bit of everything else. My favorites, food, and cultural differences. I'm your host, Leslie Knight, 14-year vet in Europe's professional basketball leagues. I played one year in Switzerland, and I'm currently on my 13th year in Spain with the club Movistar Estudiantes in Spain's top women's league, La Liga Femenina Endesa. All right, it's about that time, so let's get to it! Hey y'all, we are back with another episode here on the pod. This week's episode was literally an eye-opener a tearjerker, an inspiration, and so many other things. I always say we have no idea where our teammates, coworkers, or classmates are coming from, what they've been through, or what they're going through currently, until we ask and express some genuine interest. I was really excited to interview Vionice because I heard she was studying medicine, and it's not every day you meet an American professional basketball player in Europe who is trying to become a doctor and get their medical degree. However, what I hadn't expected was the story that would come along with her childhood dream of becoming a baby doctor, or in technical terms, a gynecologist. Vivi's story is well worth a listen, and I hope you all enjoy it as much as I did. Here we go. Vivi, I don't even know if I'm saying that correctly because I'm a little bit... Span Spanishized or Spanishized, I don't know. Um, but your teammate told me that that's what your team calls you, so that's what I'm t- calling you. However, in the United States, I feel like we would pronounce the V. We would say it like VV. But we just got Starbucks, and I believe the name written on your cup is with a B, BB. <laughs> so if you could do me the favor and just pronounce your full name for us, because I think it has either Creole or French or uh, do I say? Uh, I feel horrible saying this, but do you say Haitian? So do you want me to say it Americanized or Haitian in Creole? So it's Viennese Pierre-Louis in English. Pierre-Louis. And in Creole, you say Viennese Pierre-Louis. So yeah. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Mystery solved. Um, I've been wondering about that. And um, I'm really excited to get into today's conversation uh, and what life looks for looks like for you right now. But I'm curious to know what brought Vivi to this point. Um, so first, starting out, first question, what was your, what is your first sports memory as a little kid? So it's a long journey. No, I'm just kidding. Um, my, my vivid first memory is, so my brother, I have eight siblings, by the way, all boys. Oh, nine siblings. I have a little sister now. <laughs> but 
so my third eldest, the one I was born after, he plays basketball. So he would come home, like, so he wouldn't come home over the weekend. So he would leave on Friday with his basketball shoes in the backpack, and he would come home on Monday or Sunday night. Like, Mom, I want to go away for weekend-long trips. Like, what is this? She was like, he plays basketball. I was like, uh, what is basketball? So my brother, that Sunday night, um, I want to say I was like 12 years old. He brought me out to the outside court, and he gave me a ball. He said, this is basketball. You're tall enough to do it. Let's do it. Went home that night crying. Like, I don't want to do this basketball thing, but I want to travel, so let's do it. <laughs> like, I want to play basketball now. So he, Stanley, that was my brother's name, he brought me out to the court, and that was my first vivid basketball moment of me choosing to play basketball simply for traveling purposes. <laughs> and here you are playing in Spain. Um, I always think it's interesting when I talk to athletes who started later in life. Like you were 12 years old. That's fairly late. I remember I started, I have two older brothers and they played. And so ever since I was, I don't know, six years old, maybe I had a ball in my hands. Um, but you started at 12 and obviously from there, your improvement was very noticeable um okay so nine siblings would you say then that you grew up in a sports-minded family or I mean you didn't start till 12 so what were you doing before you were 12 years old so I will say I I didn't technically start basketball until I was about 13 going on 14 because I quit like my first two years (laughs) I'm like this is uh, too hard (laughs) um so still relatively late in my career compared to other athletes like Amy started when she was like four or something (laughs) like really young Um, But prior to that, I wouldn't say I was raised in a sports household, even though my oldest brother, like I had two older brothers that played basketball and the other two older brothers um, played football. But I didn't see that. I was a child that was always in the books. So I didn't go outside. So I didn't witness or realize that they were even doing sports. I would say I was raised in a household of more like a Haitian culture, like um, my dad and my mother was very big on you come home from school, put your backpack down, do your homework like that kind of mindset girls stay inside the house quote-unquote and if you want to play outside it's after you do your homework and by that time my brothers were back from practice so we're playing random games childhood games outside with all our neighbors but I wouldn't per se say I was raised in a sports household quote-unquote yeah so after quitting uh your first couple years of basketball what made you like what then got you to get back into it um this is sad but the city that I'm from, that I live in currently, uh, Lake Worth, Florida. I love Lake Worth, Florida. I love it. But it was a dangerous city. And we had a community school that I hated. Like, I wanted to go to, like, art school or something, like, anything outside of my community. So I figured out that there are basketball, like, if I was good enough in basketball, and when I say good enough, like, they teach you to rebound and run. Like, your first two, as uh, two uh things as a post player so I was like well if I figure out how to rebound and run by next year I can go to like Congress Middle School which is like I'll take two buses but it's out of my city zone <laughs> um I just had this like mentality not to say that Lake Worth was a bad school but all my brothers prior to me did not like make it out of high uh, middle school so my priority was to graduate high school so I thought in order for me to be focused and going to college however that may be I just needed to get out my city for school wise so that was my motivation was play basketball get out of this school this middle school and that was it I think that's so impressive that as a young girl you had that mentality wherever that thought came from it was just something within you or whether it was from your parents or I don't know what but um that's really 
that's impressive. Um, okay, so you learned how to rebound. You learned how to run. You've been doing it ever since. <laughs> um, so when do you think you started taking basketball seriously? And do you remember the moment where you realized basketball can even provide me with a college scholarship? Because I remember that. I was in, I think my first year of AAU basketball was going into my sophomore year of high school and I had never played AAU before and all of a sudden I was going to these tournaments and I saw these college coaches on the sidelines and I looked around and I thought to myself I can go to college for free playing basketball you know it didn't occur to me until I was 16 now obviously things are different and people know about it ever since they're little but back then I had no idea I was completely green (laughs) same experience pretty much so I want to say about seventh grade is when I picked up a ball again. So I had this um, coach who brought her daughter into the school, and she was like, "All right, you know how to rebound and run now. Like, let's let's put more pieces together." So I'm like, "I'm just trying to get out of this school." She's like, "All right, we'll go to another school next uh, next year." So next year grows around. She picks me like I walk to her house and she takes me to school with her daughter. We're playing basketball together at Congress Middle School, and uh, we played. This is when I started AAU, but. In Florida, it wasn't AAU, so I wasn't traveling outside of Florida. I was going from, like, Orlando and Tampa, so close, relatively close. So through her, I met another AAU. So it used to be called U-Triple-S-A for, like, community travel basketball. So I met another coach, Coach Kim, my mentor. I love her to this day. Talk to her to this day. Uh, She was like, all right, let's play AAU. I went in an AAU tournament. There's more than one basketball over him. I was amazed. It was like 16 courts. I'm like, what is this? And why do people invest so much in it? She was like, she basically taught me, like, she spoke to my parents. She came over to my house to recruit me, talk to my parents, and basically, like, this can pay for your college. This is all you want, ultimately. This can do it. Oh, yeah, I was sold. That's all I needed to hear. College free? I don't care if it's JUCO. I don't know what it is. I don't care. Community college, as long as I get it for free. My parents cannot afford that by any means. Please put me in it. And I want to be great at it. Exactly. Um, you mentioned before that you're first generation American. And so I'm assuming, I mean, college, the college recruiting process is overwhelming and hard enough for someone who is from an American family who kind of has an idea of how it works, let alone for a family whose parents are not from, you know, directly from the U.S. and their daughter is, happens to be good at basketball and all of a sudden she's being recruited and these coaches are calling and wanting to come to your house and, hey, we'll pay for your daughter to come play. I just wonder what was going through your parents' minds at the time. Like, how did they adjust or how did they interpret uh, just this whole situation? So the sad part about it is my mom was too busy working. So rewind, when I was 13 years old, my dad was deported. So he was a resident. And apparently when you're a resident, um, you can't travel too much within your first year. And within my first, his first year being a resident of the United States, he traveled like six times. Nobody told him that though. So he was deported. That same year, my mother was deported. So... It was the same. So all this, I'm getting out of my city to play sports, right? Both parents are deported. So my mother kind of goes into hiding. My dad goes to actually, like, he goes back home, you know, to Haiti. And I never, I never processed this until this year. 
my mother didn't really understand the gratitude of recruiting because I kept those lives differently. Like when I was home, my mom worked like mediocre, mediocre jobs that she couldn't really, like under the table jobs essentially. And I just made it like seemed as if I had everything under control. So I had them talk to my AAU coach. She didn't know. I mean, she knew that my parents didn't have paper or my mother didn't have paperwork, but I just kept those two lives different like separately. So it wasn't until I made my top list of 10, then I dropped it down to five, then I dropped it down to three, then I'm like, all right, now I gotta tell my mom because she has to take days off of work, you know? It's like, mom, I have options. She was like, all right, I'll do it. But you understand if you lose this day of work, we can't, like the light might not be able to be paid. I'll do it. Okay, let's do it. Um, I went to University of Oklahoma and I essentially, um, picked there because there, Coach Cole was the first one to actually fly to Haiti to meet my father. And at the time, that was my mom's first time. <laughs> Are you crying? No, this is like, I was not expecting that. Yeah. Um, so the, the year I was recruited was the first time my mom actually got back, able to go back home in 24 years. So she went home to see her mother. Her dad had passed while she was in America because she never went could go back home so that same year that so the first year my mom gets to go to Haiti is his first and reunite with my dad is the first year coach Cole decides to visit both of my parents in Haiti and I was like sold well she visited my dad at the time but I was like sold like no coach recruits and goes to your country to you know and thinking about it now my dad would have probably been the best one for this recruiting process with me but my mom tried her best so she went to these three schools with me she was like all right I like this one because of safety <laughs> you know that was her bottom line was safety and yeah that's essentially how the recruiting process went so I had coach Kim my mentor to help me out and then I filtered in my mom when the time came you know yeah I am blown away and um I cannot imagine like little Vivi having the emotional intelligence or even capacity to be able to kind of just do this on your own. And granted you had coach Kim helping you out, but to not be able to share this stuff with your parents or get that help and guidance or support. Well, she saw the letters coming to the house. So like there was boxes of letters and she was like, are you going to open this one? Or we got another letter, but you don't really get it. Like, until you're there at the school and you're like, wow, 20 plus schools or 10 plus schools recruited me. Like you don't really, and as a first generation, she's just happy I'm getting my scholarship paid for. But she didn't get it until she stepped on the campus. Like, so more of these schools wanted you? Like they saw something in you that probably she already saw, but, and she never really watched my games either. She only probably watched one game back when I was in high school, you know? So it was like, she was too busy working. And I didn't, I didn't want to, yeah, yeah. Man, I just, I am blown away. Um, okay, so then did you go on three official visits? And where did you go? Um, and obviously you said that Coach Cole, uh, she visited you or your family in Haiti and that kind of sealed the deal. But what were you looking at when you went on these visits? I mean, obviously you were a young lady with a head on your shoulders and you probably had a lot of thoughts going through your head and a lot of... Um, I don't know, like boxes that these schools needed to check off. No? Okay, well tell me like what you were, what were you evaluating or what was important to you? So my mentor can attest to this. She hated me during the process because 
I didn't want to answer the phone. <laughs> I didn't want to go on these visits. It was like sh- like stressful for a 15, 16. It was stressful for me. I didn't know what to look at because you don't know what you don't know. So I was like, yeah, I want to go to school. Just sign me up for any school. Like, I don't care. She was like, no, you have to look at the Big 12. You have to look. So she was teaching me on AAU trips. And then, like, I wouldn't pick up the phone, so she would, they would call her, and she would pass me the phone, like, you better talk to them right now. Like, so it was a struggle between her and I. Um, but essentially, I just wanted a school that I can graduate with a pre-med degree and get a job. And I wanted a school where I can play basketball and learn and grow, because I'm fresh to this game of basketball. I'm smart, I know how to apply myself, if you teach me, I'll learn. So I needed a coach that can teach me, who had the patience enough to teach me, and I needed a place where I can get a great academic success, wherever that may be. And coming from my city, I can go anywhere and be great, you know? So <laughs> I didn't care where it was. Um, so I went to University of Oklahoma first. Um, I went to Mississippi State, and then I went to West Virginia. Then I was exhausted because my mother can't take any more trips, and I'm not doing any of this. Yeah, so I was like, oh, that's it. That's the end of my list. Yeah, those those recruiting visits are long weekends. I remember I went to two, and after that, I was like, okay, I think I've made up my mind, and I didn't want to waste anybody else's time or money, and I was tired, and I ended up choosing Minnesota. But so before you even entered college, you knew that you wanted to go pre-med. Where did that come from um did I don't know was someone in your family in medicine or how did you have it so clear in your head I am so jealous of people like you who who are so sure about what they want to study and they just have this you know this insatiable interest in something well I'll say by nature I feel like I help a lot right so I remember being five years old and I remember saying to my parents like I want to be a doctor so my mom calls my dad and my dad comes home it's just like repeat it again <laughs> like I want to be a doctor so they were so so they thought I wanted to be a singer growing up I cannot sing I don't know why they thought that <laughs> um so I said I wanted to be a doctor they asked me why and all these things and yeah so it got to where I was about like I want to say eight or nine and my mom's like all right now you got to pick one pick what a doctor's one thing and I didn't as a nine-year-old you don't think there's multiple levels to being doctors like multiple fields so it's between going back to Haiti and coming back here because I went to Haiti on vacation because my dad was in Haiti uh, quite a bit. So every time I went back, I either had a childhood friend that passed away or my cousin passed away from childbirth. Something related to childbirth, and there was always an issue with that, and I love kids. So put the two and two together, I was like, I want to be OBGYN. And that was, I said it, and that's all I've been striving to get to. Yeah. Yeah, I wanted to be a baby doctor. My mom was like, do you want to take care of the babies? No, the women that's carrying the babies, not the babies, you know? So, yeah, I figured that, figured out the difference. Then I figured it out. But in the midst, like, my dad is, a, like, an entrepreneur, and my mother is a HHA nurse. But she didn't, HHA, home health aid. So, essentially, they help the elderly. But they're not, like, you go to school for it, but it's not a certified, it's a degree, because you get a degree, but it's not like a CNA where they work in hospitals and they take all those vitals and stuff like that because she couldn't legally get that document. Um, So she did that when I was about 13. So it was kind of late, but we both are similar in nature. Like we like taking care of people. You're sick, 
come to our house we'll take care of you send you off like it's in our bloodline i should say because my grandmother did it my great-grandmother did it we just didn't have a degree to put a name on it does that make sense so i picked OBGYN at like nine wow um well life experiences right that influence you and looking back it's like wow um okay i'm gonna ask you a question that i feel silly asking you about but i would appreciate a little history slash political lesson looking on the map this morning you know i had to remind myself exactly where haiti was and um i'm like okay yeah it's right by it's pretty close to cuba you know off the coast further but from florida um connected to the Dominican Republic and then you've got Puerto Rico that's not too far from there and how many people do I know over the years who have gone on vacation to the Dominican Republic and to Puerto Rico a ton of people and the only people that I've known that have gone to Haiti went to help during I think there was a hurricane earthquake hurricane and they went to go help and I just thought to myself What's going on in Haiti? There must be a very different political structure there than there is in their neighboring country in the Dominican Republic. I don't know if you can talk at all about that or like explain it to me for, you know, someone, you know, those books that are like, right now I have a book that's called Pregnancy for Dummies. Well, here you go. A Haiti for Dummies. One on one. I don't want to talk too much politics because Haiti is struggling right now. Um, but in terms of like tourists, Haiti's not a safe place to go for tourism. So when you do hear of Haiti, you hear missionary trips. You hear um, earthquake that happened in 2009, 10, 2010. Rescue things. You don't really hear of vacationing. Although we do have... Yeah, although we do have beautiful places, it's not something... We don't have money. Our government, sorry, sucks. <laughs> and there's no security so that's why Haitians are fleeing Haiti because imagine you don't have food shelter I mean you have land but it's just chaotic now and over the years we become even deforested because we're using trees to make food so you can kind of tell the climate is like struggling right now like I said we do have touristy places but it's not common compared to Dominican Republic who thrives off of that um, they have a more established economic and political stand, like background to be able to do that. We don't have that backing for us to. I wouldn't recommend going there, especially right now. So, I mean, I guess we could make somewhat of a comparison. Portugal and Spain—they're right next to each other, but they have different political leaders, um, different economies. It's not as extreme as the um, Dominican Republic and Haiti, but. Thank you for enlightening me a little bit. Um, Okay, so you decide on Oklahoma, which isn't that close to your house. Obviously, going far away wasn't a problem because Google Maps told me it was like, (laughs) we just got pooped on again. (laughs) My backpack, that's the second time. And in Spain, they have this saying that says, no hay dos sin tres, which means like you don't have two unless you have three. So there will be another bird dropping their... Their pleasantries on my backpack. Um, so you pick Oklahoma. On Google Maps, I think it said driving is about a 22-hour drive from... You did, from your hometown in Florida. And that's without stopping. So obviously, if you want to stop, it's probably several days it's going to take you. Um, 
what was the transition like for you to college as on the court and off the court? Because a lot of athletes and for myself, the on the court was a slap in the face. My conditioning, everything, I was dragging and those preseason workouts were I was nervous about them like all week. <laughs> Borderline tears. Um it was a hard transition. Think of it like I was raising a Haitian culture. So my city, we have a lot of Hispanics and Haitians. So, okay, we had African-American peers in school, but, and I went to private school and high school, so I had Caucasian classmates. It was not until I got to Oklahoma that I realized, girl, this ain't Haiti and this ain't Florida. <laughs> so it was a eye-opener. It was like a culture slap in the face. Uh, it was nice because Oklahoma is like very like southern hospitality, so they kind of eased me into it. But it was still shocking. Like we say yes, ma'am, yes, sir. You, you know, we say thank you for everything. It was kind of tough for me in college. Um, but Sherry Cole helped me out with that a bit in transitioning. We had a rule book, things, ten things to do and ten things not to do. Um, I tore my ACL my senior year last championship game. So yes. Basketball slap in the face. <laughs> I got cleared. No, I got cleared the first day of practice, official practice. So I missed preseason conditioning. I still did it because I was kind of rehabbing, I, in rehabbing. So I kind of was running. But my God, did I get slapped in the face with basketball? It was. It was like if I wasn't doing. If I was sitting down not doing anything, I was nervous because I had to be doing something at all times. But I love school. So that was my outlet with school. I love learning new things. And I didn't... Oklahoma taught me more than anything about racism that I didn't know existed. I mean, we know existed between police officers and our community being minorities and immigrants. But it's on a different level when you go to a different state. So Oklahoma race riots and all those things. So I was taking those courses and I'm, I'm like crying in class because that was eye-opener for me, the learning history outside of Florida if that makes sense I have spent very little time in the south I don't think I've ever been to Oklahoma I don't think I've ever been to Mississippi uh, West Virginia I don't think I've ever been there either um, I know you're looking at me like where have you been or where did you say the other school was that was rec okay and Alabama. I've never been to Alabama. Georgia. I don't think I've ever been to Georgia. Um, I mean, I've been to a lot of other states. I don't even think passing through. Like, I've been to Florida, but we flew there um, for softball. It was uh, my senior and junior year, our softball team for spring break, because up in Minnesota, it's so cold. We did a fundraiser, and we went to Florida for spring break, like uh, the Disney area. Yeah, like we were able to play there were some fields and then we did the whole like epcot center whatever um and all the all my aau tournaments i was chicago oregon north carolina florida but we never went to the south i mean there was never a tournament there and my i have two older brothers and we just never traveled anywhere else i mean have you ever been to minnesota have you but for fun or for for basketball Ah, you went to a WNBA. Oh, okay. Okay. But if it wasn't for basketball, you wouldn't have gone there, probably. Right. So I didn't... Right. So I didn't have... I never had a tournament in any of those southern states. 
I don't have family there. Actually, now I have an aunt living in Georgia, so I could potentially go there. But um, anyway, that's really interesting that your experience. And you've said this a couple times uh, since we started, but you say you talk about the Haitian culture. Could you explain exactly what is when you say Haitian culture? What are you referring to? It's so my best friend now, which we met Nisi, uh, we met we met at school, and I didn't realize like Haitian culture in the sense of like cuisine. I didn't eat anything outside of Haitian cuisine. So, like, then I'm going to games and I'm having to eat pasta. I mean, we eat pasta, but just, we eat the same things, but we just eat different flavorings. Does that make sense? So, I was struggling with that in that department. The most I've had was, like, Wendy's or, like, Burger King, but, like, once a month or something like that. Haitian culture, as far as, like, your older siblings are your boss so they run you like your parents run you you can't say like you have to listen to them because they're older and here it's like not here well everywhere you have to respect your elders and you hear people talking back to older people you're like uh in my in my house you might have got smacked for that one <laughs> like i don't know um just like those little things that you don't think matter matter you know um i don't know just in, inviting people to your house it's just American Haitian culture is so different. It's, yeah. It's interesting you say that because I listen to a couple different podcasts and one of them talks about the difference between like respecting your elders within the uh, colored community, if that's what you want to call it, and the white community and how a lot of colored people see white kids telling their parents this, that, and the other thing and the parents don't do anything. And so <laughs> the, you know, the colored person is looking at that thinking, wow, if that was my house, I would be slapped up the side of the head. And exactly. And I had never really thought about that before. I mean, in my family, we never spoke back to my parents. Uh, we got our mouth washed out with soap if we said a bad word. I mean, we, we you know, we respect our parents. Um, so it's interesting to hear. disrespectful term, like, you're raised to question like you don't go outside well why can i go out? in house in african we're not raised you don't question i said stay inside is stay inside you know i know what's better for you and you must listen you know we don't have that option of questioning in my house we were a little different but like in the community it was your daughter just asked you a question that's absurd <laughs> like you know we didn't have that yeah so do you agree with that? Or when you have your own family someday, which I'm assuming maybe I'm not, I shouldn't be assuming, but how would you raise your children? Would you want them to be inquisitive and question? However, just through, you know, from a respectful place? That's why I say in my household it was a little different because our family's kind of unorthodox in within the Haitian community in terms of my parents didn't believe on hitting children, so we never got beat ever in our lives. Spanked, never. Not a rant. I never felt my mother raised her hand to me in a negative manner. Um, and my dad was the type to sit and talk to you. So, like, if you got in trouble in school, he would talk to you and then go to school and talk to the teacher. Like, you know what I mean? So, I, I want to raise my children like that. <laughs> I, I, wanna, I want you to ask me questions. We asked our mother's questions. We asked why. And she would tell us, like, all right, I don't have the answer, or we can discuss it and come to a mutual understanding. It was, we had dialogue in our house, <laughs> not in the Haitian communities, though. Interesting. I do have to admit that I got spanked a couple times. Not a lot, but a couple, and that was enough to get me to stop doing whatever I was doing. <laughs> yes. Um, okay, and I'm, I'm a little bit obsessed with food, and I love food. So when you say that you eat 
you ate basically the same things, but the spices were different. What kind of spices? I'm trying to think like, what is Creole or what is like Haitian? Um, I I can't think right now. I bet there's Jamaican. Okay. Haitians are known. Haitians are known to have the most compound spice spice cuisine. Not in terms of spicy, but like it's like a melody of vegetables that we blend together which is potent by the way don't do it in your house <laughs> but we blend those together and we we use it in most of our meals and you marinate the night before it's like a whole freaking it's a process eating in our house like you start at 10 and you eat at midnight like by this time yeah it's Okay, so we're getting kind of off track here, but before when you were talking about how you, it's like in your blood to care for people, that also in my mind means cooking for people, but you just said that you don't cook. So, <laughs> so I need to know the truth, like, because here in Spain, for example, do you do a lot of cooking or are you eating out right now? We're next to Taco Bell and Popeye's. I'm not accustomed to fast food, so I don't eat fast food quite a bit. However, in my house, I cook what I need to cook for myself. So don't come knocking thinking I can cook some food. <laughs> so I, if I need to cook, I can. I, my family taught me how to cook. I just don't want to cook for the masses. That's, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> okay. Okay. Understandable. Um, all right. Back to uh, Oklahoma. So you knew that you wanted to go pre-med. What was your undergraduate degree? Was it something in biology or what did you? Oh, I kind of made up my degree. But I took all the pre-med courses, and it was called Women's Health and Wellness. And I took everything related to women, everything related to African-American studies, and pre-med. All the pre-med checked off those lists. Yeah. Wow. So you probably, I mean, the fact that you had it so clear, you probably didn't even, like, dabble in other things. You were like, all right, give me everything that I need. Um, you weren't taking, yeah, you weren't taking, you know, guitar or social media which social media that's just coming up but I'm told that you don't use Instagram Facebook Twitter can you tell me a little bit more about that because I honestly kind of envy people like you and I don't think you're a freak or like a weird person I think it's honestly pretty impressive you don't feel like you need it and you dedicate a lot of the hours in your day to doing probably much more productive things or what's your mentality behind not having social media so i will be honest um growing up my older brothers had social media so i kind of saw that world and my older brother had myspace so they always had to change the background the music i'm like all right that's too much work for me i'm not doing it and then when i got to high school we had a high school project that was like you have to create a social media so i had a facebook and then after that project, I never really went on Facebook. So I had this Facebook for like, I want to say eight years. And my friends were like, put up a profile picture. I'm like, no, <laughs> put up your phone number. No, I don't want it. Um, so I would occasionally post pictures because everybody in my hometown, because I was out of Florida by then. Um, and then it got to a point where it's like, let's be my Facebook. It was just too tedious. I was like, I don't want to do this. <laughs> if you're my real friend, public service announcement i have the same phone number for the last 16 years so if you're my real friend you should have my phone number <laughs> call me i don't understand why do i need to go on another avenue social media i already have whatsapp i have my phone number <laughs> that should be enough uh, so i just never dabbled in it i'm not a photogenic person so i don't find a reason to have instagram i don't tweet so i don't have i don't have i have random thoughts that i will say to my friends and family not that i want the whole world to see 
So I'm, I'm, I'll tweet, I would tweet you a text. How about that? I'm not, it's just, I find no value in, for me personally, I will say now that I'm learning, you can have a platform and use it for other things. But where I was from, you was using it for different things. You weren't really, you know, so no purpose for me. Understandable. And like I said, I envy people like you because I personally, I get caught in scrolling sometimes. And then I stop myself. I think, Leslie, what are you doing? Yeah, I mean, granted, thank the Lord I haven't gotten to five hours, but, you know, it's just, yeah. And there are probably a lot of studies out there that say that it's not the best for you on a mental level, emotional level. Don't take this as I'm being a nerd. I sleep for those hours or, like, I might go for a walk, talk to my friends or family that I don't often do. So I'm not, like, in the books and I'm doing something insightful. It's just not spent doing that. Yeah. Um, fabulous. So, okay, you do your four years of college, you go pre-med, and you said that was your undergraduate degree, it was pre-med, and you kind of made up your own, took your classes. All right, so then you graduate four years later, and what is going through your mind at that point? Did you, because I mean, you graduated college when, in 2018, so pretty recently, like, I graduated 10 years prior to that in 2008 so I feel like we we went through such different moments I mean when I was in college my first year of college was 2004 Facebook had just started and that's when I got my first Facebook account Um, but Instagram didn't exist Twitter didn't exist you went through college during a period where all these things already existed you probably knew people that played overseas or that were playing overseas I had no idea that overseas even existed until my senior year of college So when you got to your senior year, what was going through your mind? Did you always know that you wanted to continue playing afterwards? This is funny. Everybody that knows me knows I hate basketball. (laughs) So every time I say I'm still playing basketball, they're like, how? (laughs) How the heck is that possible? I tried everything to quit basketball with all my might. I've burned shoes. I've thrown them away. Like after my fourth year, I was like, oh, this career? Done for. I celebrated because I thought I was quitting basketball. And then, another sad story, my mother got sick my last year of college, and my father got sick within the same year, in two different countries, so I needed money. (laughs) So I needed money. And uh, it wasn't until my senior, so I thought WNBA, that's that's it. I would never want to play WNBA, never. Even going to a camp was like disgusting for me. I didn't want to do it. And Coach Kim, again, well, you can go to camp and get the extra money. Your, your parents need it anyway, you know. So my last year of college, I was struggling. I was Ubering at night. I was, I was, yeah, being an Uber driver at night. Because I was trying to send, like, I was sending my mother to the doctor every day. She had to get, like, some kind of treatment every day. She, she wasn't working. So my monthly, so she's an illegal immigrant. She didn't have health insurance, so... Everything was coming out of pocket. So so in a month, you get your stipend. So I was sending that money. But I was spending that money three ways. My household, my mother's household, and sending it home to my dad. Then it wasn't enough for their medical expenses. Because Haiti, it, we don't have medical expenses either. So I had to Uber at night, secretly. Sorry, NCAA. <laughs> um, so I was like, yeah, I have to get money. Like, I, whatever I need money now. And Coach Kim was like, well overseas I almost cried and (laughs) 
So she gets me an agent. I didn't know we needed agents. It was a, it was a, oh, it was a sad process. <laughs> yeah, this all happened in a matter of a month. I'm learning about overseas. I have an agent. It was ridiculous. So my, I talked to my agent over FaceTime or something like that. Fabio, he lives in Brazil. I think you're, yeah. So he's like, um, the draft is going on tonight. You should watch. I'm like, I, I got an Uber. I don't want to watch the draft. Like, so I come home late, catch the end of it. So I called him, like, was my name called? Like, what was the purpose of me, like, watching the draft? He was like, oh, you were in, like, conversation. But now the Minnesota Lynx wants you to go to camp. I was like, I just said I don't want to play WNBA. He was like, no, it'll help you for overseas and blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, I can't leave my mom now because she's sick, right? So, like, I have to pack my bags, drive 22-so hours with my car I just bought back home because my mom needs me. So I was like, I just need two months with her, you know? He was like, oh, yeah, like, you leave in August. I'm like, that's great. I wanted to get my master's because OU pays for half a year. So I, in that process, I began my master's program. In the summer, I took care of my mother. In, like, June, I flew and took care of my dad in July ubered and had like many little jobs at home prepared for overseas and i just it was by force and i was just sending money back home overseas taught me how to save though and how to budget for sure but that was my it's out of desperation it was not because i wanted to play oh my word if i didn't think this interview could get any more just i'm wide-eyed right now um you hear kind of sometimes about stories like this, but I've never actually met someone who has lived it. Ubering at night uh, and then waking up in the morning and going to class, going to practice. Holy moly. <clears throat> um, taking, <laughs> taking care of two parents. And in the United States, if you don't have health insurance, even if you do have health insurance, they still get you because I know my grandmother was having to pay X dollars for pills and she could have been paying, she could have been paying less with a different brand, but no one said anything. You know, nobody wanted to let you know about that. And um, even my mom right now is going through some treatments and even though they have insurance, she's still paying several thousand dollars out of pocket. Um, and I don't want to get into this too much, but like you come from a family of eight or nine siblings. Were any of your other siblings able to help out or was this just like all falling on your shoulders? We don't have to talk about this. This can be off. No, no, it's, it's fine. Um, I love my siblings to death. My, my younger siblings are like, they're younger. Most of them are young. My four older siblings, one was in, one, he's in the military now. So most of that time he was spent uh, abroad. So he couldn't help as much, and he has a family of his own. My other brother's in prison right now, serving life, 25 to life. And my other two siblings were not stable enough, one of which, one of which I had come to Oklahoma to get his life together because he needed to, in our city, again, not conducive to a working environment. And my, the, other, the last one was not in a... To be honest, my last year I was supporting four households because I was helping my older brother too. Again, Haitian communities, you have to help your siblings. Anyway, they were not in a financial situation to help and a daughter in the Haitian community is known to help. They always like make sure mom and dad is okay. So I didn't ask for help. I, thought, I just felt like it was my responsibility. They gave me everything they had. So I had to give them everything I had in return. Never complained because I didn't want my mom to be sick and worry about me. 
and my dad didn't know I was just sending money back home he was like oh money like I can pay my bills now you know so I didn't bother to ask um such a mature young woman I mean since you were five years old nine years old uh yeah by force um Okay, so do you end up going to Minnesota in August? And, uh, you know, I'm from Minnesota. I'm from uh, not too far away from Minneapolis. I don't know if you've ever heard of Hopkins or Minnetonka, but I went to Hopkins High School. And um, Paige Beckers, she, yep, she went to my high school and is injured right now. She plays for UConn, but yes. Um, Okay, so did you end up going to Minnesota? And they have, I mean, well, they won several championships in the WNBA. When you went, Lindsey Whalen, I don't think she was there anymore. Uh, She's now the head coach at the University of Minnesota. But what was that experience like participating in training camp? It was stressful because you go in with this attitude of, I don't really want to be here. (laughs) I love this opportunity, so I want to be the best that I could be but I wasn't developed enough. Like I didn't have enough IQ basketball wise to compete with these women or so I thought. And you're going up against Sylvia Fowles, like the best of the best. I didn't know the WNBA world cause I, yes. And uh, Maya Moore, wait, when that was her last year. Yeah. The coach is, phenomenal I was not at that yeah I was not at that mindset to compete with these women but I wanted to take advantage of the opportunity and if I'm going overseas I might as well play with the best of the best I didn't know WNBA basketball I didn't know the rules I barely knew the college rules I was struggling to learn that before I went to you know so I was struggling yeah she was there too oh you know the team very well okay okay yeah 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 yeah. of course you know um yeah so I I struggled um, but more so, I struggled because I was graduating that same week. So, like, I was taking finals. So, I, at one point, I had to ask to go back home because I had to take one of my finals. My professor was a dick. So, sorry. I had to go back home uh, to Oklahoma to take that final. So, I was focused, not that really focused, want to be there, and didn't want to really be there. It was chaotic in my head. <laughs> I think about that a lot, actually, because the draft is in the spring, and training camp tends to start right away and I think what are these college student athletes doing um finishing classes finishing their degree it's very difficult I would think um I don't know if you want to comment any more on that but like being a pre-med major it was more like usually you get to finish earlier if you're like no offense studying communication or human resource but I was doing like calculus and like hectic things at biochemistry at the final year so like I, I could it was not something I could have fun and turn off you know bad major at that point <laughs> okay so you do the training camp I'm not sure exactly how it ended if you got cut if you okay so you had to go home how many weeks were you there for like week and a half all right did you see any of Minneapolis just curious you know did you get any taste of the city itself I went to what, Mall of America? The Mayo, is that it? Yeah, I wanted to see the Mayo Clinic. Yeah, we had a car, so yeah, I took that drive. Just to be familiar with if I ever, if God willing, I ever get accepted, I wanted to see what it was like. But that was it. 
All right. Well, and you were there in the spring, so it wasn't too cold, probably. It was, yeah. Minnesota, I do have to say, in the summer, in the spring, in the fall, it is beautiful. The winters are brutal. Um, I haven't been there for a a full winter in a long time now because I've been overseas, but um, I do love Minnesota in the summer. Uh, Okay, so you get cut from training camp, and then the next step is you're talking to your agent, and you're talking about going overseas. So um, what was what happened after that? And in your mind, you're thinking that you still want to continue with school, and you said you were doing your master's. What was your master's in? It was human health resources, but essentially it was how to run a hospital, like management of hospital management. Yes, it literally had that word in it, administration somewhere in it. (laughs) Sorry. Um, but in the summer, I took off a of basketball, bad idea, because I went overseas over shape, like out of, out, overweight and out of shape, because I was working all jobs. Um, so I went, so I, the summer, I took a break from school, from basketball, took care of my family. August, I went San Sebastian. My first year, I played for three different teams. Fabulous first year sucked. <laughs> um, yeah, and then yeah, that was about it. All right, so you came directly to Spain, uh, San. Sof- oh, you started your masters while you were in Spain. Okay, so it was online and you could do it. That's fabulous because that allows Americans to continue studying. You know, doing something back home. Great. So yes, you were in. Uh, San Sebastian, which is a beautiful city. I don't know if you saw much of it, but it's amazing. Zamora, and then Girona. I think you finished in Girona, which is their basketball fans and city support them big time. Um, and they're, they've been one of the best teams in the league for the last however many years. But what was the, um, the adjustment to playing overseas your first year? And if you could give any advice now that you've been playing overseas for several years after that, to any of the younger players that are thinking about doing the same thing. Like, what kind of mentality do you need to have? How can you be successful on the court, off the court? Like, what contributes to having a good experience overseas, in your opinion? So transitioning out to overseas was almost a basketball slap in the face. Like, you have to almost forget everything you know in terms of, like, I want to say overseas is just more creative with their passing, the thought process. It's just a different mental game. Same basketball, same shooting, same rhythm. It's just the mental was my biggest struggle. Not being away from home because I've done that already, right? So my advice that I would give to any women coming overseas is be prepared for the mental, the mental challenges that come with the basketball overseas. The coach, you, you, you'll have condescending coaches. <laughs> who don't like your style of basketball, but just remember why you came here. Like, why did this team recruit you? Because you're awesome. You're probably a great shooter, probably a great post player, you know? So you have to always remember your your strengths, exactly. Um, that's what I would advise, and just be ready for a mental, the mentality. Basketball is a mental game. I cannot stress that enough to young players. Basketball is not just physicality. You have to think the game of basketball. You need to get a habit of watching film, learning, and how to improve to get better every day. And the last advice is don't rely on your coaches. As we do in college, I relied on my coach a whole lot. I had to become my own coach, and that was tough for me, and I had to realize that my first two years, now I got it, but my first two years I struggled because I was relying on a coach to make the decisions, but be your own coach. (laughs) Be able to coach yourself out of a rut. Be able to coach yourself for your strengths, you know? So 
mental, mental, mental. Basketball is a mental game. Uh, to piggyback on that, it's like if you want to play for many years, you can't necessarily res- rely on being physical all the time because that's exhausting and your body's going to take a toll. And if you can be a little bit more savvy and a little bit more smart and position yourself, you're going to save your body from a lot of work. <laughs> um, okay, so you started your master's while you were starting in San Sebastian or in Spain. I'm assuming you've finished your master's, maybe? Okay, a year later. And now in 2022, are you still studying or you have this goal in the future of where you want to be and where is that that you'd like to be? So after my master's, I took a break, played basketball. I say I took a break, but it was like a year. And then, so I just played basketball within that year, and I studied from the MCAT. So it was a test to get into medical school for my last four years. Um, I took my MCAT this year, finally, but I didn't score high enough, unfortunately. I wanted to get like a 510, so the highest is like a 5, I want to say 30 or something like that. Maybe a little higher than that. But I didn't know how to study, again, don't know, first generation, didn't know how to study for the MCAT. It's just like... You buy seven books, you figure it out, you practice takes and tests, and hopefully you get it, you know? So my, I say I take a break when I, in terms of school. I didn't go to school. I just studied for the MCAT for a year. Didn't score high enough. I also took another break. So from August to December of 2021, I figured out I needed hours for school. Didn't know that. So I worked at a hospital to get my hours. And then... To get into med school. So you need like these hours or shadowing, hands-on, and you need to pass an MCAT. And you need a whole bunch of other requirements that we're not going to talk about. But so I focused on that this past 2021 from August to December. This year, I need to start back studying. So mid-February, beginning of March, I will start back my regiment of studying for the MCAT again. And then possibly take the MCAT around August. A lot of Spaniards, I've had this conversation with several uh, friends and adults, they ask me like, what do you need to do to be a doctor in the United States? And they are blown away that you have to do your four years of just undergrad. And then after that, you have to apply to med school, pass the MCAT. What does the, it's M-C-A-T, MCAT. What does that even stand for? Medical college admission test. Okay, makes sense. Medical college admission test. But these Spaniards, they're like, what? You have to do four years of undergrad. Then you have to apply to med schools. You have to do this test. Then you have to do, what, another four years? And then your specialty and residency. So can you just explain that real quick, uh, if there is a fast way to explain it to people out there that aren't from the United States that don't know exactly how it works? Because here in Spain, they enter directly in, like, after high school they take their tests and if they get a good enough score they can enter into med school and I don't know if it's four years or something like that but it just doesn't seem they don't have to do undergrad basically so I'm gonna tell you what I understand thus far um, because I'm still researching myself so you do four years of undergrad pre-med then you do um, four years of medical school so between that yeah you have to apply so So the application requires, like, recommendation letters. You have to pass the MCAT. You have to get a certain amount of hours. There's, like, a page that you have to write about why you need to be, like, why you want to go into med school. The application itself, I took a week applying. 
you have to add the schools, pay for each application. There's secondary applications as well. One application for medical school was $185. And you can apply to like 50 if you want. I applied to 10. Um, and it, all the schools after that, I believe, was $85 after that. Medical hours. So it has like, there's different, so there's different spots. Like um, they'll ask you for medical hours shadowing. So like you're not direct patient contact then they ask you for like um direct patient contact other experiences so you have to think that you're competing with other students so right so that exactly so that has to be diverse is crap any accolades that you've ever gotten that all goes on there <laughs> like literally any job that you want to seem like from high school like these people start in high school <laughs> I, I started late um so yeah so you apply so it took me a week to do my application because i didn't know what i was doing you do secondary application so i applied it's smart to p apply in may secondary applications don't go into like december so these schools send you secondary applications, so it's like $60 for the secondary application. No, regardless. Every school has a secondary application. It's a shorter version, like um, more about you specifically, like your interpersonal. And then you go on interviews between January and May. I want to say you do interviews for schools, and you can be on a waiting list for two years. Like you can, it's a process. Once you get into medical school, you do four years. I believe your first two years is books, and the second year is more catered to what you want to do. And then your, um, after that, you have two years of residency, and I think one more year depending on your specialty. So it all depended on what avenue you take after your second year of medical school. Wow. Meanwhile, you're paying for all those years as well, um, which in the United States is expensive. And yeah, it's just very different than here in Spain. Very different. Okay, so you're still, you're working at taking that MCAT again and then getting into med school. And once you're in med school, do you think you'll be able to continue playing? You're <laughs> I'm so excited. I will throw a party and everybody's invited. I'll be done with basketball because I can't do both. I have to be in physical school. I'm done. <laughs> All right. That's interesting because obviously if you're an American, yeah, you probably have to hang it up and go back home. There are a couple Spaniards. I have a, a teammate on my on my team, Estudiantes, right now who is in med school, um, but she's in her second year. So she hasn't started doing like rotations yet um, or residency. So in the United States... I'm asking a lot of questions. You might not have the answers to these, but when you do rotations or residency, you probably don't get to choose where you're going either. That depends either on your grade or whatnot. So they could literally send you anywhere in the United States. From what I'm learning from other people that I've been talking to, you don't get to pick, but you put in like this pool of application. You, I believe you can even do traveling. Like there's an option where you want, you can be like a travel and you can, they literally pick where they send you. Um, but like, yeah, they determine where you go. I don't think you have the option of picking. Or you might choose a couple different places and depending on your score, then they, yeah, but whatever your first choice, second choice. Okay. And I know before you said that you spend your time when you're, you know, you don't use social media. So you're doing other things. You're having a conversation. You're going on a walk. Just out of curiosity, the other day, I believe you sent me a message at like 630 in the morning. And I, when I woke up and saw that message, I was like, is this girl up studying at 6.34 in the morning or is she getting up to go to the bathroom and she just decided to respond at that time? Because I'm like, if she gets up to study at that time, Leslie, you need to light a fire under your ass and you need to wake up early and you need to study too because, you know, Vivi is taking 
advantage of her time. That is funny. So when I was studying for the MCAT, I woke up at 5 a.m. And I went to sleep at 11 p.m. It was too brutal. But now that I have to get back into that regiment, I have to wake up at 5 a.m. to get back into that yeah, because now I have basketball, so I have to study before practice, in the middle of practice, and after practice, not so much. But I had to get it in between. So I set my alarms. I wake up. I sit up. <laughs> make sure I'm like, yeah, yeah. I do the whole process. Shower. All right. Walk around the house a little bit. Like, yeah, I'm. I'm pra- it's like a practice r- trial run right now. <laughs> Struggling. <laughs> wow. So I wasn't too far off. <laughs> I'm like, this girl, I also... I honestly thought, I was like, maybe she just stayed up late and she was talking to family back home. But then I thought, maybe she's studying. Okay, that's impressive. Yes, and I, you are going to be my motivating factor because I have stuff that I could be doing. And instead of sleeping in until 8.39 and then going to practice and then coming home and having lunch and then maybe doing a little something before my evening practice, you know, you can take advantage of the day and get up early. 24 hours. Everybody has the same amount of time, right? That's what they tell me. Ah, oh, seven hours. Well, right now, being pregnant, I don't know. I feel like <laughs> I could use a little more than that. Oh, my goodness. Okay, that's so funny. Um, all right, so you want to be a gynecologist. Okay. And um, helping deliver babies or I don't even know. Right now, I'm going through this process. You've got the obstetrician. You've got the gynecologist. I don't really know who's who and, like, what their specific role is in that. I'm assuming the gynecologist is in the hospital when you're when you're giving birth, and the obstetrician is... To help me keep it separately, I think of a gynecologist as women should see them probably once or so a month, right? Some women have irregular periods. We have a lot of things going on in our bodies, at max, like excessively, once a month. Maybe like a checkup is like what, every three months? Like the average person in America, we have checkups like every three to five months. Yeah. My mother has checked up that long. I don't know. <laughs> like it's just, yeah, I think that's smart. Um, so I think about it like that. Obstetrician, I think about it for deliveries. Don't quote me on that. I'm still learning myself. <laughs> so. Yeah, well, and I wanted to ask you, I'm assuming you don't know the answer to this, but do you know what they call a pap smear test here in Spain? What do you mean in America too? Pap smear, yes. But in Spain, I went the other day, because you should get one at least once a year. They are called a Papa Nicolau. <laughs> and, which I think is hilarious, because Papa Nicolau is also kind of the name for Santa Claus. And I'm like, why is a pap smear test called this? But maybe I'm assuming it's because a long time ago, somebody that either created it or that started, maybe that was his name. I'm not sure. Yes. But just a little nugget of information for you. (laughs) It's probably called something else too. But if you look it up online, yes, Papa Nicolau. So because I am recently... Uh, well, recently, I'm about 16 weeks pregnant, and your your team was my second-to-last game when we played against each other a couple weeks ago. Um, nobody knew I was pregnant at the time. My teammates did. but So now that I have a future gynecologist sitting in front of me, I know that, once again, I'm asking a lot of these questions you might have the, not have the answers to, but as professional athletes that we've been running up and down the basketball floor for a long time, a lot of pounding, um, do you have any advice or what do you think about the pelvic floor of a female and how we can 
strengthen it? What do we need to be thinking about? Because another friend of mine who's actually a current doctor in Malaga in the South, she used to be a basketball player, and she always told me, Leslie, what we're doing is not good for our bodies. Like our our pelvic floor is going to be taking a toll and we're really going to have to work on it. So in your opinion, do you ever think about these things? I do think about these things and I feel like the women's body endure a lot. Basketball is too much for us, of course. Think of longevity. Think after birth. You st- like you as a human, you still need your, you know? So like take care of yourself in terms of stay physically active. <sighs> My women out here. During pregnancy, Haitian women love to eat everything under the sun and they that it it takes a toll on your body after birth. Like we don't understand. Yeah, we need nutrients for our babies, yeah, but after birth, you need your body. You you know, and you you you're planning on having more children in the future as well. Well, so, some people exercise in terms of like <laughs> It sounds funny. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't like speaking Creole because it sounds funny sometimes. It. No, it's like Mali. Like so, we say Thai. So women in Haiti, first two months after birth, they stay in the house. They don't go out in cold weather. They don't go out in extreme hot weather. They take care of like they cover up their private areas. They tie up as well to close that the cervix and everything. So it helps you. It's like a tradition. You no, know, at home. So usually. So they a band, so they tie up this lower portion of you, and it's like a waist trainer, but not that tight. Um, and you wear like these under undergarments that are very tight to help you like compress it all back together. Different mentality. So like you have the holistic so Hades, kind of more a holistic route, but basically take care of yourself in terms of like your lower region. Yes, activate them before birth so that you have them intact after birth. I think about this a lot um, because now in Spain, at least, um, doing uh, like Kegel exercises or cutting off your trying not to go to the bathroom. Like if you feel like you have to go to the bathroom, that sensation of like squeezing your urethra or whatever you want to call it so that you don't go, that is you're strengthening those muscles in your uterus. And I'm hopefully going to start uh, Pilates for pregnant women in like the next week or so and just get a lot of this information because breathing and what you should be focusing on and exactly all of that. And I always think about our moms and my grandmother who they didn't have all this information. And I just think after birth, because I have friends today that have stress incontinence, which means when I think about stress, I think of mental stress, but they're talking more about physical stress. So if you sneeze, if you laugh really hard, if you're jumping rope, and I have friends that are my age, 35, and they cannot jump rope without peeing their pants a little bit because their muscles aren't back to normal. And from what I've read is that that shouldn't necessarily be normal. Like you should be able to continue living your life and not be dribbling in your pants. Some people over like indulge in sweets and like, you need your kidneys to function after birth you cannot indulge in sodas and like take your cravings to minimal and just like my mother like I I believe when my mother gave birth to me the next day she was walking in the rain like those her knees to this day she can't even mop the like there's certain things it's not just your your stomach it's your whole entire body that people need to 
people, men, women, we all need to realize that after birth, you still need your body. Your body is not a machine. It cannot like function. <laughs> like I was talking to a couple different women and one woman told me that she gained eight, nine kilos while she was pregnant. I was like eight or nine kilos. And I did the, you know, calculation and nine kilos, I don't even think reaches 20 pounds. And I thought, wow, that doesn't seem like very much. And then I talked to an American friend of mine the other day that told me she gained 45 pounds when she was pregnant, both pregnancies. And I thought 45 pounds. Oh my goodness. And then try to lose all that weight afterwards. I know. And I just think about myself because I see my stomach getting bigger. I see my, you know, my breasts getting bigger. And I think, oh my word, um, how am I going to recover after this? And a lot of women do. But like you said, it's so important to take care of our bodies, to continue exercising during pregnancy, you know, in a smart manner. And then the recovery afterwards will be even easier. Um, because obviously nothing is easy. It's not, even though women are meant to do this, it is not easy. (laughs) Right. Preventative. Yes. Prepare. And, um, yes. Okay. So I won't grill you anymore about my pregnancy questions, but this is the first time I'm sitting in front of someone who's studying to be a gynecologist and who is still playing professional basketball, which I think is amazing. Um, You are balancing and doing all this at the same time. And now that I've talked to you for a little bit, it doesn't necessarily surprise me because you have been balancing and juggling so many things for the last however many years, but it's impressive. Something that I ask a lot of uh, of the people that I interview is, how would you say that basketball has contributed to your personal, individual growth as a human being? As much as I joke around and I say I hate basketball, I hate like I hate that I had to play this as a necessity, you know. But the basketball, I'm so grateful for in many aspects. I got to see the world. There's no telling if I, without basketball, I probably would have never seen the city of Lake Worth without basketball. And seeing the world is bigger than just traveling and getting experience and taking pictures for Instagram. It's meeting different cultures, learning what a siesta is. And like, you don't have to work. In America, it's work, work, work until you die. Here, I'm working hard and I'm playing hard and I'm relaxing. I'm going out for tea, going out for, I never went out for a walk until I went to San Sebastian and met a Swedish, my Swedish teammate, my friend now, Ellen, she was like, you got to go for a walk, girl. This is not all about just basketball and study, you know, different cultures. I met her family, met how the politics, she, they taught me how politics and everything works there. Without basketball, I would have never got this opportunity. Basketball has taught me how to budget. I've had mass amount of money come through my hand and I've learned how to budget it. So how much do I spend in a month? I had to sit down with a notebook. This is how much money I have. This is how much money I'm going to spend. And this is what a savings is. Basketball gives me time. I know how to invest now. I know what savings is. My family was not teaching me this. They're first generation American. Sorry. They're first generation American. I didn't even know how to do taxes until like last year. One of my teammates taught me uh, from Australia how to taught me how to do American taxes. Like, it's Basketball has brought me so many opportunities different cultures cuisines experiences that i've never would have got to experience now that i can take back home to america i can take back home to haiti and give this to the next generation of people that's coming up give this to my younger siblings give this to my older siblings shoot teaching them in a way that we never got to be taught not 
just because we didn't have it my mother didn't have all this knowledge that i have i'm teaching my mother and she's 65 and she was like i want more what's what's what are you learning this month you know that experience is like something that I, I don't think i've ever gotten out of basketball and i'm just so grateful for the game for that reason itself i couldn't agree more the people that i've met um places that i've been i would never have probably done any of this if, if it wasn't for this little game you know of basketball um <clears throat> okay a couple of random questions before we wrap this up what's your jersey number and why i think right now you wear number zero Oh, 22. Okay, college, you were zero. Um, I'm curious to hear the story behind that, if there is one, because zero is not a very common number, and a, t- a former teammate of mine wore zero, and she had a reason for it, so I'd, I'm curious to know what yours is. So it's not a insightful story. <laughs> so my number is 22. My brother swears it's because he wore 22. This man wore 32 and 22. Now he thinks I want to follow him. Uh, it was a random number. You know, back in the day... The bigger the the jersey was, the big the bigger the number was, the bigger the jersey was. <laughs> so that's why I had 22. So I was in a range of like not big enough to 45, but like you know, like anyway. So I kept 22. It was meaningful to me because that was the first number I had. So I wanted to stick with it. And I, the, as I grew, I wanted to grow with this number and make it resemble something. And there's angel numbers 22. Um, I also resonate with that too. You can look that up on your own if you want. The number two, 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 and two, two, two. Um, it, signi- it signifies a lot of my life. Um, and then zero, I had a teammate in college who was 22, Shay Kellogg. She wasn't giving up that number. So I was sitting in class one day, I was like, shoot, I'll be zero then. Nobody has zero, it's creative, it's different. I'll do zero, nobody can guard me anyway. And it was like a funny running joke. So I was like, I'll just do zero no meaning behind that at all <laughs> all right but i will look up the 222 thing um food products are there any food products that you bring with you when you go overseas because you know that you're not going to be able to find it whether you're in san sebastian whether you're in france whether you're in madrid what do you bring in your suitcase regarding food seasoning you got to have the adobo <laughs> adobo you had to have the complete seasoning so those two things and but but B A D I A, and adobo has its own brand. It's like a whole different line. Lemon pepper seasoning for my chicken wings, like little Creole seasoning. Um, and there's one more that I bring that I can't think of on top of my Creole seasoning and something else. But those are like my five. Like I have to travel with those. <laughs> have you ever looked to see if you can order those on Amazon? If you don't bring enough over, no. Okay. Because now I feel like you can order so many things on Amazon if you can't find it at a store. But, yeah. Um, what would you say is your go-to bread and, brother, bread and butter move on the court? Post player. I have the classic drop step to the basket. <laughs> Nothing fancy. Right now I have this fadeaway in my pocket right now, so I'll be using it to cheat my way out of banging in the post so much, but drop step and go. <laughs> Keep it simple, stupid, right? I mean, there really aren't very many true five post players overseas. And I have never had a true post coach uh, overseas either. And I would love to have a post coach. Um, But that's a whole nother can of worms. Um, Do you have any fun Spanish words that you've learned or any word that's really difficult for you to say? Um, you're laughing right now, so maybe you have a couple, but I'm curious. So, 
I have Duolingo on my phone right now, so I'm doing French and I'm doing Spanish in my free time. I should be relaxing from this mental thing, but no, I wanted to I wanted to form sentences. I know random Spanish words, and my favorite one right now is Kipena. <laughs> <laughs> so I say it all day in practice, and my teammates hate it, but I love it. <laughs> like when somebody misses a shot or makes a bad pass, Kipena. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, yeah, whenever I talk to my parents about Spanish, it's funny because the spelling, you know, is different. And my mom will be like, oh, pain? Like, you know, dolor, you know, pain, P-A-I-N. And I'm like, okay, yeah, if that's how you want to pronounce it, yes. Um, yellow. Yellow, the color? Ice, ice, yellow. Ice? Ah, yellow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Right, that's which obviously the color yellow is spelled Y-E-L-L-O-W, and then in Spanish it's H-I-E-L-O. That's funny. When you think about your journey and the fact that you are continuing to study, what would you tell foreigners, whether they're American, whether they're from other countries that go play, um, would you encourage them, I'm assuming you would, but to continue enriching themselves mentally and not just focus on basketball like what are the benefits of doing other things in your life and having something else to focus on I guess I want to say my final message is my last two years I I can't stress this enough I've been talking to all my friends whether they're from Africa whether they're from America all my friends we are women sadly we don't get paid millions of dollars in this basketball world we have to have a second occupation a second job Overseas gives us so much time. There's 24 hours in a day. Seven of those hours you're sleeping, probably six maximum that you're you're dedicating to basketball. That's a lot of hours left in a day. Don't spend that time sleeping, partying, shopping. Spend that time finding a hobby that you can, and it's, it's a world of entrepreneurship. We can open up businesses. We want to start a family and we cannot women we cannot keep playing basketball till we're 45 years old we're not like men we don't have longevity we want to start family most of us find that second passion of yours that it might be coaching start that now start everything overseas now there's no you're thinking about the next day next year you can get hurt at any second whether in basketball in a car accident god forbid anytime Start, get a second hobby. Get a, if you don't start a business, get a second hobby. Get a pen and paper, write down your interest, and th- plan your life for the next year or two, like, outside of basketball. Like, I can't stress this enough for women's basketball. And it's sad that we have to do this because we, we don't have a career where we can save millions of dollars like men do in football, American football and these things. So, we have to use our minds wisely. And our bodies are not machines. We cannot stretch this for the next 30-something years. Find a second hobby. Yep. Here I am, 35, and, you know, my basketball career is finally coming to an end. And it's like I've been thinking for the past more than five years, like, what's that next step? What's that next step? And, um, you know, I've tried to do some some studying here and there and different courses and whatnot, just trying to prepare me for something, you know? Right, and you do have time. Um, do you have any, I mean, I know you 
I was going to ask if you have any bucket list things uh, that you're looking forward to doing in the future. Obviously, getting into med school, that's probably the main thing right now. Um, And these hobbies that I'm thinking of right now aren't going to be paying my bills or anything. But I just think about life as human beings. We have so many qualities like we can enjoy so many things in life if we want to and I have friends that do painting classes or they go to this course or they go to that yeah even and I think oh Leslie I would really love to swing dance learn how to swing dance and someday maybe even learn how to play the piano you know like just random things but um outside of basketball and being a gynecologist is there anything on your bucket list that you would like like to learn how to do uh in your lifetime I had this piano that my team bought me for Secret Santa, like the portable, portable, yeah. So I practice that. I'm on Duolingo. I want to be able to connect words together. I mean, and make form sentences in different languages other than Creole and English. Um, and I'm actually right now I'm studying how to open up a business that I could do at home, even if it's for fun, like a candle or something, like making candles or something for fun. Um, but other than that, like. Personally, I don't en- like. I didn't have time to enjoy movies and things like that. So I want to start like start a show, <laughs> possibly finish a show, <laughs> like basic things that I never got to really experience because of my life and yeah. So th- those are my little things right now that I'm doing. Yeah. And lastly, how many children do you think you would want to have? Do you do you want to have children in the future? I'm assuming yes. So I used to say I wanted like eight kids and I was like, yeah, no, (laughs) I want to have two and I want to adopt at least one. So however God plans for my life to go, I'll follow. (laughs) So I don't know. Whatever God's willing to give me, I'll take. Vionis Pierre Louis. Vionis Pierre Louis, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for your time. I was looking so forward to this interview and it did not disappoint. So um, just thank you so much and best of luck in the future. Um, I'll be checking in on you to see what's going on. But I I wish you the best of um, luck and, you know, but it's hard work. So I know you're going to put it in and luck is like, it's not just luck. It's all the hard work you put in. So um, mucha suerte, chica. Ciao. I could have sat on that outdoor patio in the Parque Sur shopping mall in Leganes, Spain for a couple more hours at least, picking Vivi's brain and asking her a thousand more questions. But I had to let her go as she had practice in just 20 minutes. <laughs> thank goodness the shopping mall is close to her gym and thank you Vivi for taking the time. Vivi's story has left an imprint on my heart and in my mind. Life is hard enough as it is, even when you have the resources, let alone when you don't. I admire her everyday decisions to continue to give of herself to those around her, helping wherever she can and being the best daughter, sister, teammate, and future doctor that she can. I'm humbled, truly humbled, by her compassion, perseverance, grit, and tireless pursuit of what she wants to make of her life. I can't say this enough, but Vivi, thank you for sharing your story with us. I only wish I would have asked you one more question. You must explain to me what a Sooner is. 
I had to look it up online because I had no idea what the Oklahoma mascot was. I knew that you guys were the Oklahoma Sooners, but a Sooner? What in the world is a Sooner? I went to the University of Minnesota and we are the Golden Gophers. Well, everybody knows what a gopher is. That's pretty self-explanatory, but a Sooner? So I looked it up online and the mascots for Oklahoma are two horses. One is called Sooner and the other is called Boomer. And as a group, they are just called the Oklahoma Sooners. So you learn something new every day. Anyway, all right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, please, please, please head on over to Apple Podcasts and rate the show. Five stars would be greatly appreciated. And your support actually helps get the word out to future listeners. So it'll only take you a second. And um, that would just make my day. So (laughs) I'm your host, Leslie Knight, wishing you all a safe and healthy week. Hasta luego.